The only purpose of the Talking Space podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweep Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate. We choose to go to the moon. Thank you very much, Gina. How are you? I'm great. And Jean Makoka, how are you doing tonight? Just great, Gina. Honored to be here as always. Okay, well, with that, we're going to jump in. Miles, last week on Wednesday, February 24th, testified in front of Congress along with NASA Chief Charlie Bolden about the president's latest vision for NASA and where he sees the space agency going. And uh, Miles certainly had a lot to say, something that I personally agreed with uh, his stance on the topic. Uh, Miles, can you give us your opinion about President Obama's uh, current NASA budget for fiscal year 11? Well, you know, Gina, it's interesting and and good to be with you again, by the way. Thank you for asking me. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys. I think the budget is as good as it can be under the circumstances. And uh, but the the circumstances don't make me very happy. I I feel like NASA, you know, to use an, an aviation expression, NASA has flown itself into a coffin corner here with really no good outcomes that are possible. You know, let's go back to uh, 2004 a year after we lost Columbia, or just shy of a year, and President Bush announced the vision for space exploration. And it really sounded great at the time, the notion of going back somewhere, a destination, the moon, uh, building a new fleet of rockets. And uh, that was the last George Bush said anything about it. And not only that, did he not say anything about it, but his White House, his Office of Management and Budget, never funded the program as it was promised to be funded. And so for year after year, Uh, the Constellation program, as it came to be known, limped along and never really made the progress it should have. And of course, we know on top of the fact that it was underfunded, there were huge technical issues, which, you know, of course, are funding issues too. That all kind of goes together. And so we were left at this gap that lied ahead of us uh, with dealing with Constellation and, and in particular, Ares 1, which was designed ideally to get our astronauts to the International Space Station, presumably while there's still a space station there. And the way the development had gone, Ares-1 was so far downstream 
that it was likely the space station wouldn't even be there. So this was obviously not a good situation. So what do you do about that? And it was obviously smart to say, let's not do Ares 1. It's not going to get us there in time. And maybe this is an opportunity to open up low Earth orbit to um, more entrepreneurial commercial players that play by a different set of rules, not a cost plus contract, different sets of procurement rules, um, creating the, you know, planting the seeds finally so for something we've all hoped for, a real bona fide business in space. Now, what really surprised, I think, uh, a lot of people, including myself, was that the, the entire thing was canceled lock, stock and barrel. Because uh, let's face it, we, we really would like NASA to be thinking about the distant horizon, which is to say Mars. You know, you can talk about asteroids and talk about going to the moons of Mars, but the bottom line is the place we need to be thinking about going is Mars. It's the only place we can get to. It's, a, it's the most interesting place that we want to go. So let's go to Mars. You know, that's, that's great. But there's no, right now, uh, in this budget, no, no provisions, no program to build a specific heavy lift rocket. There's a lot of money that will be spent on research and, and um, uh, on new technologies, which might get us to Mars faster. But I think we're all left with this sense of sadness that we don't have anything more concrete to latch on to. You know, I'm a child of the space race. I grew up on deadlines and dates. You know, we will get to the moon by the end of the decade kind of stuff. And so we're kind of used to that notion of doing a space program, the whole idea of spending a little money trying to come up with some new ideas and maybe that'll lead to a program someday, I think makes us all a little bit uneasy. But having said all that, it's really the only way the Obama administration could do anything because in order to fulfill the obligations of Constellation and to, to build that program out in any meaningful way would require probably about $5 billion more a year than NASA was getting. And that money was just not in the cards. So this budget is in sync with the realities of the budget and also the overall budget, I should say, and also matches up some really uh, important national needs with things that have not been focused on at NASA for quite some time. And I'm talking about aeronautics. I'm talking about earth sciences. I'm talking about the science budget in general. If, you, if you're in any of those aspects of NASA, you're tap dancing right now. Now, the, the manned space side of it, uh, it is dealing with this shock of, oh my gosh, we don't have a specific program. But we also don't have a new technology to think about right now. I mean, we're, the, the notion of going to the moon on a solid rocket booster, that's not new technology. NASA should be pushing that envelope. And so um, maybe it is time for a timeout. Maybe that's all we can afford to do right now. The important thing for those of us who really care about this is not to let it die in the vine. And, and, and that, I know we're all worried about it, but I don't think that will happen. I, 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 I really hope, put it this way, it won't happen. We just have to hold uh, our leaders' feet to the fire over this. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, Miles. And I, I think that we have gotten ourselves into trouble in the past. The space shuttle funding was cut, I believe, under what, the Nixon administration? And I think the space shuttle suffered for it in the long term. And I think, you know, it is not new technology to go back to the moon on a liquid fuel rocket. And it shouldn't have to take us two years to round trip to Mars. We need new propulsion, new systems. And that's obviously what Bolden is looking to do. But, you know, there's sort of a, a big mystery, a big cloud over what is this R&D? Who's going to have the opportunity to develop it? 
that is a worrisome thing. And I think that we got to watch that. And, and it would be, it would be, listen, in a perfect world, it'd be great to have a mission, a rocket and all the money in the world, or not all the money in the world, but a reasonable amount of money to do the, the basic research and, and come up with new uh, notions. I mean, let's face it, the, if you know the history of the shuttle, what NASA wanted to do, the Von Braun vision was a flyback booster, a fully reusable system. And the Nixon White House cut that thing so much that they had to go with this hybrid, partially reusable system and strap the solid rocket boosters on it. And Von Braun was crazy because he didn't, he didn't want uh, human beings riding on solid rocket boosters. The whole thing was a compromise. It was, it was a horse designed by committee. And um, unfortunately, that's exactly what we face here right now with the amount of money that's available is doing another system that is still harkens back to 1960s technology and we're not moving NASA forward. And, and, and we've got to start thinking about getting farther out into the solar system. And we're not going to do that on chemical rockets. We really aren't. We're not going to go six, seven months to Mars and then stay there and then come back. That's just not going to be, that's going to be a death mission, I'm afraid. So if we can come up with ways like Franklin Chang Diaz's plasma rocket, his Vasimir system, which would, you know, with constant, um, yet, you know, relatively slight thrust, but constantly accelerating, reduce the trip to Mars to 39 days. Well, suddenly that changes the whole complexion of things, doesn't it? So if we spent a little money on that and made that a practical notion. That is a breakthrough. Agreed. I think every day we spend on Mars is one day longer that more problems could come up that the crew wouldn't return. It is a death mission. Charlie Bolton really does have a, um, a point when he says, I can't get us to Mars right now. And, you know, everybody says, well, you know, we didn't we couldn't get to the moon when when um, uh, JFK challenged us to go to the moon. Well, going to the moon at 250,000 miles versus Mars at what, 30 or 40 mi- million miles, depending on uh, where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a whole different animal. I mean, we're talking, you know, the radiation exposure, the time spent in space, the whole thing is is many orders of magnitude more difficult. You you mentioned the food stores issue, on and on it goes. So isn't it uh, isn't it eight minutes to get a message back and forth one way? So you don't yes. really have mission control at your fingertips to bail you out if something goes wrong. Exactly. All these things start you know stacking mm-hmm. up, and you say, well, if we had a program, we'd do it. Well. Let's let's remember we were spending five and a half percent of our national budget on Apollo at its peak, in order to make that all reality. Well, if we were, yeah, if we were, if we said right now let's spend five percent of a trillion dollar budget on NASA, we would we would be in pretty darn good shape with NASA, wouldn't we? You know, that would be a a, a big hunk of money, and we would be uh, able to invest anything we wanted and coming up with something new. It's so you know. Uh, it, it comes back to money. If you if you had two hundred billion dollars to spend on NASA, sure we could do it, just like Apollo. But you know we're we're spending less than one percent of our budget on NASA right now. Even with the extra billion that Obama has kicked in each year, it is just a small fraction of what we spend uh, in the grand scheme of things. So you get what you pay for. And so we have to, we, you know, I think this is just a little more of a grown-up approach to things. Look, we only have this much money, $20 billion, which, you know, is a lot of money, but not really in the grand scheme of our trillion-dollar budget. $20 billion, what's that get for us with all the things that NASA needs to do, should be doing, what are the priorities? And, and at the end of the, end of the day, there's just not the money there to, you know, go off half-cocked to Mars. So um, 
that doesn't make me happy to say that, though. You know, I, I love I love the notion of going there, and I wish we had that five and a half percent, or even even two and a half percent would be an amazing thing. Uh, but we're not there for some reason in this country, and I don't know why because I think it's a great investment. Uh, first, Miles, thanks for coming on with us tonight. Um, Pleasure. Uh, real quick, quick one here. Uh, we're, we're talking about research for research's sake, essentially, correct? Uh, when, we're, when we're when we're talking about you know the Vasmir engines and the uh, maybe the add-on for the ion engines, correct? Yeah. I believe uh, during the Sean O'Keefe days, though, and I I think this was mentioned during the uh, the congressional testimony. Um, there was a, a, a project called Prometheus, which was sort of a nuclear engine, but it really didn't have a goal attached to it, and Prometheus just sort of withered away, away and died. Um, without a goal attached to the Vasmir engine or say the ion engine, uh, would that be more of a hindrance or a help? I mean, if we know what we're going to put these engines into and we know the end game for these engines, which is to get to Mars, should that Martian goal be articulated or would actually articulating the Martian goal hurt getting to Mars at this point? Well, you know, first of all, you know, Charlie Bolden after, uh, you know, I, one of the things I said in Congress was that, you know, it, it was a horribly rolled out uh, communication uh, piece. And as a matter of fact, the, um, the head of public affairs has been fired since then, uh, Maury Goodman. And it was botched in every way, shape and form. And one of the things they should have said, which, which finally... Um, Charlie is saying, which I think is important, is that the goal is Mars. Now, we're not telling you we're going to get there before the end of the decade kind of stuff, but, you know, that is the only goal that makes any sense. I mean, unless you're going to the moon, you're going to Mars, right? I mean, all right, you can go to an asteroid, and that's that might be interesting. But, I mean, the bottom line is when you talk about stretching our wings in space, if you'll excuse that kind of mixed metaphor, Mars is the place to go. So, you know, when you talk about how to get there, things that can hasten that journey, whether it's Prometheus or Vasmir or enhanced ion engines or whatever the case may be, all that it does fit into the context of, of the ultimate goal of getting out there faster and deeper. And uh, so, I, yeah, it would be nice if, if we could say we have a Mars program and, you know, 90-day study kind of program with all the bells and whistles and all the, all the you know, Von Braunian kind of Collier's images that you'd see from Chesley Bonestell of all the wonderful rockets and everything, but it wouldn't be real. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be a realistic uh, view. It would be just telling people something that wasn't existing. And that's the truth about a constellation was, it really wasn't going to get us anywhere at the way we were spending on it. You know, it, it was. It was just um, a very. Um, uh, unfortunately, so underfunded that the program was just limping along, and so that's not a good place to be either. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you made a wonderful observation. It's one that we've made here several times. Uh, Constellation really was a dead man walking, unfortunately. And again, it was for the reasons why, you know, the technical reasons aside, it was a beleaguered project money-wise. And I, I just don't think the, the past administrations were really, really putting a lot of money into it. But, well, you know, I, I got to say, I mean. I, I, Shame on George Bush, you know, to to stand out there and 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 offer up this vision, this alleged vision for space, and then and then never say another peep about it, and never uh, in his administration nobody does anything to ensure that the money is there. You know what was that all about? Was that deliberate? Was that you know? Sometimes I get kind of grassy knoll about it, and I wonder if it was 
uh, kind of a uh, just a, a poison pill for NASA. You know, this is a this is a man who, as governor of Texas, as governor of Texas, never went to the Johnson Space Center. Does that make any darn sense? No. I mean, no what does that tell you about George Bush in space? Yeah, so, exactly. you know, I wonder if we were just duped by the whole darn thing. Ginny, uh, you made that observation once here, too. I, I made that observation in the year 2004, probably knowing with an unsuccessful war on his hands, he would probably lose California and probably needed to win Florida and Texas. So what better way than to hand NASA a gift? Sawyer, I believe you have a, you have a, a question, don't you? Yes, I do. Once again, Miles, thank you for coming on. Pleasure, Sawyer. We're talking about how they did everything wrong in terms of the engine and the vision. In your opinion, what do you think NASA should use to get into space uh, with the gap? And where do you think we should go with it? Because I know you're mentioning a lot of Mars. Well, you know, I tell you, if, if the money were there, I, I you know, I, I, I love the shuttle. I really do. You know, and I, I'm going to miss it terribly in the thought, the fact that, um, there's only four more launches. It, it you know, I get kind of misty over the whole thing. You know, I was very close to being able to ride in a shuttle, um, and uh, I still would go if I had the opportunity. But um, I, I would, I, I wish there were the money to to fly it out a little longer, so we wouldn't have this huge gap. And it's not just you know public perception because <clears throat> you know as well as I do, the average person out there doesn't know if a shuttle's in flight or not. We all care you know, tremendously, and we're all interested. But what I really worry about is losing uh, this, uh, the intellectual knowledge and the base and, and all these smart people who know how to do these things. You know, we, we do amazing things in space, which we take for granted. And, and we're, we're really operational right now. And we have two control rooms at times when there's a shuttle in flight, two full-up control rooms humming along. Uh, without, you know, it, they make it look so easy. They really do. And, and, and frankly, they make it look so easy that people have tuned out, unfortunately. But, and I, I, it really bothers me that we're going to lose a lot of that capability because, you know, knowledge like that doesn't just, you know, stay there. You have to keep it alive. You know, you have to keep it fresh, use it or lose it. Right. And so that is a, that's a terrible loss. And so if we had the money to somehow string out the shuttle program a little bit and maybe, you know, I'm told that they can, they have enough uh, extra parts and fuel tanks and so forth that they could probably fly five additional missions above and beyond the four. If we had that money to do that, I'd say do it. Why not? Um, but I still, I still would push uh, and and get these, keep these COTS players engaged because I really, I think it's so exciting uh, to think about the possibility that an Elon Musk or Orbital or or for that matter, you know, Boeing, because they're they're part of this now too. You know, it'll be interesting to see if the elephant can dance. But uh, it, to, to see these people uh, truly on the cusp of, of of something we've all hoped for, a real business in in space, uh, is very exciting to me. And and I hope, you know, I use the term. I think NASA should get out of the way in my testimony. And I heard from all my, you know, contractor, traditional NASA people, and they were they were absolutely livid with me that I would say that, but, but it is true. And NASA needs to step aside a little bit to allow these players to flourish. You, you cannot allow a competitive, um, you know, free market economy to exist if you've got this huge government player dominating the market and not allowing it, it to breathe. So I think it's possible to fly the shuttle and do both. But once again, it comes back to the money. And if, if, if it means, if you fly the shuttle and it means we've got a deep six, the space station, 
in 2015, that's not smart, right? If it means we can't spend the money on coming up with new propulsion devices and, and, and techniques for getting into deeper space, that's not good either. So these are, these are really tough questions. What about the wear and tear on the shuttle fleet? Do you think um, they can handle an extension if we do indeed go that way? Well, as you know, each shuttle airframe is um, certified for 100 flights. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, Discovery is the most frequent flyer and has, what, 30-something, I think? It's, it's in the 30s. Uh, don't, I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but Discovery is, is the most seasoned of them. Um, and, you know, there is the issue of recertification, which, um, you know, the Columbia Accident Investigation Board uh, laid out. And uh, the argument uh, that United Space Alliance lays out on that is kind of interesting. And, and that's, I think it's a reasonable argument. First of all, who certifies the shuttle, right? It's not like the FAA is in there, right? It's, it, defining certification is a very subjective thing. It's like saying human rating for, for a spacecraft. It's all what you decided to be. It's not like there's some entity coming in. So certification is what you decided to be. And uh, what, what DeCastro would tell you is that every time that the orbiter goes through an OMDP, the orbital maintenance uh, down period, uh, which is when they, you know, they rip those things apart, they pick them apart like a Thanksgiving turkey, that you can make a, um, a pretty good argument that that would be, for all intents and purposes, what you would do to recertify. And so the vehicles have all now been through their OMDPs since uh, Columbia. Uh, so you could make it, you could make a case if you wanted to that hey we just certified it we just we didn't call it certification we called it OMDP we're now calling it certification, and you know what would we really do differently if we decided to recertify probably an OMDP so I I, I see that point um, and but the, you know the airframes themselves and you know you guys have been near these vehicles um, they they are just pristine I mean you know let's face it they they, they live in climate controlled hangars uh, they. Um, uh, are as uh, well-maintained an aircraft uh, or spacecraft as, as anything on the planet. And, uh, um, yeah, they, they've, they've got some mileage, and you look at the tiles, and they're, they're kind of scuffed up, and, you know, it's definitely been through the mill, but that's what, they're, that's what the tiles are supposed to do. Uh, but they, they've got a lot of life left in them. By the way, just so you know, the number is 37. And uh, also, I know that, before you went in front of Congress, you sent out a poll to a bunch of people on Twitter and Facebook and asked for their comments. And some of them, I have to say, some of the comments are really interesting, and the polls are also quite interesting. What was your take on the results that you got and the responses that you got from that? Well, I only had five minutes to talk, and so I ended up submitting the poll and the uh, comments for the record because I could have spent the whole time talking about that, and I, I wanted to vent my spleen a little bit on some other issues. Um, the poll, I, you know, I, it's one of those, it's, it's as unscientific as it gets, Sawyer, so I, wasn't, I didn't know how to assess it. It was very lopsided, and my hunch was that, you know, if I really tr started tracking the IP addresses and so forth, I think it came from a lot of the traditional... Um, contractors and, and, and in that side of things, if you will. And so I, so I, had, to, I had to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because I think there was a bit of an organized effort. It was kind of like the Stephen Colbert effect, you know. I, I, I think they were, they were trying to cook the, uh, the poll on me. And so I, I, I didn't know how to, to read into that. The comments I thought were very interesting. It really was, you know. There's the, you know, what it tells me is there's a tremendous amount of passion for this that we all share. 
And somehow the passion that we all have for this, um, there's, there is a disconnect right now uh, between uh, the passion we have and uh, what, what really is amounted to a lot of apathy uh, in the general public. And yeah. somehow we've got to... Um, We've got to end that, and if we, if we don't get the public reengaged with us, and you know, I'm not saying they have to be um, uh, space cadets like we are, and I say that with pride, of course. Uh, the uh, we, we do have to get them to to come along for the ride, one way or another, or we're, we are going to be out of business, and and there won't be a, a trip to Mars ever if we don't figure out a way to make people understand that this is about them as well. And that, that's what that's that takes me back to this whole notion of, you know, commercial space and private space. And, you know, I remember being out there for the X Prize and and watching Mike Melville do the that, that you know, that, first of all, that amazing aileron roll up and then the, the successful second flight and, and the victory and the, and the X Prize. And it was it was just an electric atmosphere. People were so excited about it. It was, it, it, you know, here he did what Alan Shepard did in 1961. Big deal. But it meant so much to people that it was, you know, one of them. It was a civilian. It was a rank civilian. It wasn't some right stuff, you know, Navy Top Gun guy. And that means a lot to people. And they connected with it instantly. And so that's why whatever we do marching forward here, however this compromise comes out, if, if the commercial, uh, the, the goals to uh, enhance the commercial um, exploitation of, of low Earth orbit, if they are undermined, I think we're going to lose out in the long run. Does Charlie Bolden envision NASA's oversight of commercial space to incorporate NASA picking who flies? Um, you know, are we looking at out-of-work astronauts or <laughs> the civilians are going to be flying these ships or hand-picked, uh, you know, people from the actual corporation or does NASA still get to assign the seats? Well, you know, I think that the best analogy I've heard is, you know, NASA is going to be, you know, using Elon Musk as Hertz or Avis. It, it, you know, it's 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 rent a capsule, right? Rent a rocket, and and so that means that if you've got a qualified driver uh, and and you know a major credit card, you're good to go, right? So so I think I think that's what we're going to be seeing is, you know, that they they will qualify astronauts on these vehicles. Qualify them. You know, they'll they'll obviously uh, be developing simulators, and uh, those simulators will be used um, by the NASA crews that want to get uh, certification, and uh, that will be the way it goes. I mean, you, you know, if presumably these vehicles are going to have to serve as lifeboats as well on the station, right? So they're going to have to go up there for upwards of, you know, three quarters of a year or whatever, and be there. Uh, for a hasty return. So all these crews are going to have to, all these uh, NASA astronauts that go to the station on it are going to have to have uh, training on how to use it, use the vehicle. And so I, I see the, the rent-a-car kind of scenario uh, ruling the day there. Now, none of that would stop Elon Musk from selling another capsule to, you know, three well-heeled tourists and presumably, uh, well, two probably, and then one one former astronaut who knows how to how to drive the thing, right? So, um, you know, and that, yeah, I, I'm sure you'll see some, uh, you know, uh, retired astronauts lining up to do that job because uh, you know how those guys are. They want to go to space. I'm going to take this question from a journalist perspective. Of all the people that were at the meeting, either part of Congress or testifying, 
who, since you only have five minutes to talk, who specifically would you want to sit down and talk more with to figure out their perspective on the entire future of NASA? Uh, you mean the people I testified with that day, or? Yes. Well, you know, the more time I get with Charlie Bolden, the better, because I, I, I'm trying to understand, uh, you know, what how he envisions all of this. And, you know, I, I think it's, frankly, he you know, he's, He's in a difficult position because of where he comes from. He, you know, he's a four-time shuttle flyer, and he um, uh, has a lot of friends uh, inside the program and who are very wedded to the shuttle program. Obviously, he has deep roots in the shuttle program for obvious reasons. He's, you know, he strapped himself onto that thing and and took a lot of risks and and is all part. He is part of that team, and so I think it's um, it's hard for him to be the one to. Uh, preside over its its you know conclusion its demise if you will uh, you know if you think about it you know I, when he when he was uh, named the administrator I thought wow this perfect uh, administrator but I didn't I didn't really think about what it would be like for him to have to be the one to preside over the um, the flyout of the shuttle so um, yeah I'd like to like to know more uh, from him but I was also curious you know I, I sat next to Mike Snyder who's an engineer uh, I think he's a uh, I'm pretty sure he's a Kennedy, no, he's a Houston-based engineer for, on the shuttle program, and he was talking about these workforce issues. And I, I, I would really like to know more about this because, uh, you know, let's face it; these these people are uh, they're great, you know, they're great, the best, they're the best, uh, you know. And I, I don't care what anybody says; NASA still gets the best and the brightest. Very motivated people, uh, people care deeply about what they do. Obviously, people are not money motivated. Uh, not that that's bad, but they're there for all the right reasons. Put it that way, and uh, and and so to lose that is is a tremendously uh, that's a profound thing. The, the agency loses its soul when when these people go out the door. So you know what are these people really going to do? Where are they going to go? Um, if there is a burgeoning commercial space industry, are they going to go work for Elon Musk or Orbital or, or or you know will there be jobs for them and and what does NASA lose in, in this process? And, and how much, um, you know, how do you restart that when, when the time comes? Is it, um, these, are, these are really uh, important questions that I don't think um, anybody's really gotten a good handle on and anybody really fully appreciates. So um, it, it's, it's really the, it's the story to watch. You know, I mean, when, um, when we had the gap between uh, Apollo Soyuz and and um, the shuttle. It was different. We had, you know, the the, the shuttle uh, plan, the, the 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 announcement that the shuttle would be built was it was literally announced to by radio from Houston to John Young on the moon. Interesting little coincidence there, right? The, the first right. shuttle commander uh, when he was there for Apollo um, 16. 16. 16. Thank you. Appreciate that. And the older I get, the harder it is with these numbers. But there he was on the moon on Apollo 16 getting the word that the shuttle was going to be built. So we knew that was coming. And so to the extent that that kind of kept people there and, and was in, you know, a carrot that was dangled. And, of course, it was a program which employed a lot of people even in its development stages. So there, there was not the gap like we face now where, okay, we've got, um, you know, we have a, an idea that we can do some research and some far-flung research. But it's not nearly the workforce that is required to, in an operational way, run, um, you know, a, um, a mission-oriented program. It's, it's a whole different ballgame, as you guys well know. So, and, and those people are highly skilled 
people that uh, can go and get jobs anywhere they like because they can do they, they are uh, amazing people who do amazing things in uh, short order and uh, under tremendous pressure. And so they'll, they'll go find jobs in industry. And when the time comes to say, hey, all right, guys, we've got a rocket now. We gotta, we're going to go to Mars. You know, they're going to be uh, in jobs in other places. And, and they're going to say, you know, I've got the kids in school and I'm making a lot of money and I like this Silicon Valley thing or whatever it is. And it's, it's going to be hard to, to recapture all that. You know, I guess, you know, the question is, there'll be, I'm sure there'll be a whole new generation of smart people who would like to do it. But what you lose is that the, the, the graybeards, the, the people who've been there and done that and have gone, gone through it and had the T-shirts. And that's, that's a, a difficult thing to lose. Miles, does NASA have plans to recruit a workforce in all of this? Um, I know in the energy industry, the nuclear power plants are trying to recruit sort of fresh nuclear, nuclear engineers out of school. Um, are they going to put some stopgap in place or a new plan in place to groom perhaps this new generation of controllers and technicians? Well, you know, it's hard. It's hard to start thinking about a hiring campaign when you really don't know what you're doing, you know, and mm-hmm. where you're going and what the time frame is. So, you know, right now they're looking at, you know, it's all it's all about shrinking right now. And, uh, you know, you know, I, I, there are always going to be smart people working at NASA and there's going to be I'm sure there'll be some exciting things that they do. Uh, but it's just not going to be the, the sheer numbers that are required to keep a thing like the shuttle going. I mean, that's that's a. That's a massive undertaking to, to make, keep that program going and make it fly safely. You think we should go to Mars. Why not go back to the moon, even if it's with a better rocket? Do you see any value in returning to the moon? I mean, it's obviously safer, it's easier, it's faster. We've, even if we've developed new propulsion, do you think there's any value in going back to the moon? Well, let's, let's, say, you know, let's say hypothetically that you know, Franklin Chang Diaz and his team you know, getting this extra money that they're going to get undoubtedly through all this, uh, can have a huge breakthrough. They, they want to stack up a rocket, um, and, and try it. I, why not, why not try going to the moon first? I, do you land on the moon though? Or do you just orbit the moon? Or, or do you, do you, you know, do we want to, do we want to go there and set up a camp? Is, is it, is it that much value in, to that? My, my concern has always been going back to the moon it ends up being, uh, instead of a, a stopping point on the way to Mars, it becomes a cul-de-sac and we don't move on. You know how, that, you know how those things can happen, you know, where the, the cost gets higher and the things slow slows down and people say, oh, well, you know, we've gone far enough and things come, you know, crop up. And, and But having said that, if you're test flying a, a new rocket and, uh, you know, it's probably probably not a bad idea to try a shorter destination and the moon, moon would be a good one to point to. I just, I just think calling it a moon program, you know, it, it is, and I think as I put it in the um, testimony is, you know, sometimes I feel like NASA is the, you know, the middle-aged guy in the bar who won, you know, is the quarterback of the high school football team and won the state championships 30 years prior. And all I can do is talk about the glory days. And, you know, a lot of people got mad at me when I said that, and I was being a little bit, you know, hyperbolic when I said that. But the point is, you know, every time we, you know, one of these anniversaries comes up, you know, and this past summer, and, you know, it was, it was frankly so sad to me that here we were, 40 years plus Apollo, and this is still all we got to, to celebrate, you know, uh, that, that, that's not good. So, um, 
you know, we, we need to think about uh, creating uh, an event that will per precipitate uh, a new celebration and, and, and venerating another group of guys and another generation, you know, to try to go back to the moon just for the sake of trying to recreate that magic. No, if it's a bona fide test to figure out how that rocket works and, and you can learn something. Yeah, why not? But, you know, I, I still think we got to think about Mars. And if the Chinese get there before we get to Mars, I mean, if the Chinese arrive on the moon, do you think that that's got to wake up the American Joe taxpayer to say, uh, what happened? I thought we were better than better than that. We had gotten there in 1969. What, you know, what are we doing now? Well, right. I, 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 I wish that were the case. You know, I, I, I used to think that, you know, that's, that would be the best thing that could happen to us if the Chinese planted a flag on the moon. I don't think people would care. You know, I honestly don't. You know, it, the, the reason we cared so much in the 60s is that this was, you know, it was all a, essentially a, you know, a proxy war in the context of the Cold War. A rivalry between these two powers and uh, the Russians going to the moon and beating us meant that they could, you know, outnuke us, right? Just as if, you know, just the same as Sputnik flying overhead meant they could drop a bomb on our heads. The Chinese going to the moon without the context of, of that Cold War rivalry means much less. And, and frankly, I don't think that... Um, I think I'm afraid people would say, well, you know, okay, we, we've been there. We already did that. We did that 50 years ago. So what? Um, I, I wish it were true because, you know, I, 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 do, I do believe that, you know, there are basically two big motivators that we all have as human beings. They're basically fear and greed, if you boil it all down. The Cold War was all about fear, you know, and, and if the Chinese were on the moon, would people be afraid? I don't think so. Um, so that's why I say let's go to greed. <laughs> let's get... Let's get the Elon Musk of the world revved up and let's have greed motivate people a little bit. Maybe they make a few bucks on this thing and, and turn it into something that maybe one day you don't have to have uh, 20 million to participate or 200,000 to do a suborbital because it's only going to get cheaper as time goes on. And, you know, listen, the, the, the federal government uh, gave us airmail and that created the airline business and they built the transcontinental railroad and that opened up a frontier and we have interstates because of the federal government. It, now's the time for NASA to take that kind of approach in space, I think somehow in some way. Uh, this is one of the, the folks on Twitter. She goes by uh, geek girl Lau here. Um, she was saying she had a question with reference to when you were undergoing training um, for your astronaut candidacy uh, when you were selected to be the first journalist in space. She was saying, do you think NASA should go ahead and move with the times and the technology and sort of open its doors a little bit more to astronaut candidates from other disciplines? You know, you, know, you and I are sort of humanities majors, majors here, but you know, there are you know, other folks that maybe would want to go and maybe NASA might see some worth in there. And was there any type of intimidation factor when you had all these, you know, literally rocket scientists training, you know, you were training with, um, you know, was there any type of intimidation factor with that where, you know, you've got PhDs running around all over the place and here, here you are a history major. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel no. the same way, by the way. Well, you know, side, so. you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I did, I got, I got to say, I remember very distinctly, uh, you know, when, it was kind of the last hurdle after years of negotiating. I had to sit down with uh, Charlie Precourt, who was at that time uh, 
the chief astronaut and head of flight crew operations. And, you know, I had to basically make my pitch to him. And, and if I could convince him that I was worthy uh, of the whole endeavor, I, I figured I was in. And, and as truthfully, that was that was the, the last remaining, you know, kind of obstacle was the astronaut office. And, um, you know, basically, uh, he, he put me at ease and said, you know, he said that basically uh, the astronauts uh, appreciated the work I'd done over the years and, and, and knew I was a history major, but knew that I also took the time to learn their racket, if you will. And they appreciated that. And, uh, and he said, you know, the, the, only, the only thing that we ask is that you don't come in and get, you know, sort of a, a special expedited e-pass ride. Uh, we don't want you kind of coming in and doing as they did with, you know, Krista McAuliffe and, and the Saudi prince and Bill Nelson and everybody, where they popped them in a month before and off they went on the shuttle. He said, you know, if you, can come, if you come down here and, and train like us for a couple of years uh, and do a full-up mission specialist routine and join a crew and everything else uh you know you're gonna you will earn the respect of the crew and 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 they will appreciate uh what you bring to uh the table as far as talents and i took that at face value you know and, and yes these are these are incredibly smart people and i am i am a piker um by comparison but i can tell a story and they can't and i know that for a fact because i've tried desperately over the years to get them to try to tell me stories and it's not easy they, they, and you know what? They know it. They do know it. And uh, so, uh, you know, we all have our, our roles to play on a mission. And frankly, it's too bad uh, that we couldn't have gotten that um, a few uh, right brainers up on the shuttle uh, at some point along the way to tell that story a little better. It, that, that is one of the big, and that's part of, I think, why I'm wistful right now about the shuttle in particular, because I was so close. And I think that, that that story will never be told now. It'll, it'll uh, be retired along with the shuttle, what it's like to do it from the perspective of somebody who is, um, who, you know, who's not a, a, a rocket uh, scientist or engineer or a PhD physicist or whatever. And, you know, some of them, you know, there, there are people like Story Musgrave who have a real gift for communication. And uh, there, there have been a few exceptions, but it's still different than kind of coming into it uh, with, with the, you know, the history major perspective. Yeah, one more one more question for you. Uh, we had this uh, debate here uh, not too long ago about uh, well the gap and all that. But uh, do you think the gap might be turned into an opportunity, like say maybe partnering with, uh, maybe actually becoming partners with uh, with maybe the Europeans or something like that, and blowing the dust off of some of these old concept vehicles like the uh, the X twenty or the old Hermes, if you remember that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you, do you think that you know maybe it, it might be time to go ahead and blow the dust off of those things and maybe go ahead and perhaps uh, go into a developmental project uh, with the Europeans or even with the Russians and just sort of go ahead and combine resources, get a, another vehicle together and go fly and have all all three you know entities use it? I love that idea, frankly. Let's see, yeah, let's face it. We you know let, let's not forget that back in ninety seven ninety eight time frame. We, we really didn't know how to partner with the Russians. We really had a fundamental disconnect with them and, and figuring out how to do business with them and, and the other nations of the International uh, Space Station Partnership. And, and it, it really was a very um, challenging uh, set of goals, a set of obstacles to get past all of that. 
And, uh, you know, one thing that, that everybody learned is that uh, no matter where you come from, when, if, you're, if you are an engineer, if you are a scientist, uh, it, it doesn't really matter where you come from culturally or what language you speak. You really do speak that you have a, a tremendous point of commonality with the people you work for at the bench level. And so it was a tremendous, without getting too Pollyanna about it, it really was a kind of, you know, small world, we are the world moment. And, and we made it work. And, it, and it's the darn thing just won the Collier Trophy, you know, and we've had Americans and Russians on there nonstop for just shy of a decade now. And, it, and, and we put pieces together that never saw each other on Earth, met each, met, met each other in space and fit within, you know, tolerances that are hard to even contemplate. So the whole thing is an amazing um, outcome of global cooperation. And, you know, I know people, you know, people in the media don't like to tell, you know, gee whiz good stories like that. But this is a gee whiz good story. So why shouldn't we build on that? And why shouldn't our trip to Mars be an international affair? Why not? Uh, you know, I was talking to, I had the good fortune uh, to uh, meet up with Alan Bean over the summer. Uh, he was, he took me through his art exhibit at the Air and Space Museum. And, you know, he, for my money, He's the nicest of the Apollo moonwalkers. He's such a nice man. And, and so we, we went through and he, he spent a tremendous amount of time explaining his work and his paintings to me. And he's just such a talk about a guy who can communicate in his own way and in, in very profound ways. Uh, you know, he, he just he's done a great job at sharing that experience in, in ways nobody else has. And, and at the end, I said, so what do you think about, uh, you know, what should happen in space? He said, you know, that we should have. You know, we should say to the, you know, okay, Russians, you build the rocket. You know, Chinese, you do the capsule. You know, you just hypothetically, America, you you do the mission mission integration. There's no reason why a trip to Mars shouldn't be put together in those terms. And, and then we can honestly say Earth arrived at Mars, not just America. All right, I have one last very, very difficult and important question. Uh-oh. Anything you want to plug? <laughs> Well, you know, we um, we would love to, I would love for everybody to try out this week in space, and you can go, you can see it at uh, spaceflightnow.com. Stephen Young and uh, his operation, uh, we've had a great time doing it, and uh, it, I know you guys. Uh, uh, I hope you've seen it every now and then, and uh, we've had, you know, I as I tell everybody, uh, it. it uh, cost us, uh, I had to buy a green screen and a stand, and, and that's it. That's all it cost us, and then the rest is our time. But our, the amount of time we put into it is, is pretty uh, significant, but we're, we're loving it, and we're trying to figure out now how to you know, make it pay for itself a little bit. And so uh, we invite everybody to go check out This Week in Space. There is an opportunity there, I should tell you, to um, donate if you like. It's not a charity uh, operation. We're running it as a profit-making thing for now. Our goal is to take it nonprofit and and come up with a nonprofit foundation to do space content, but we're not there yet. Uh, and uh, we hope you make you know download it on your uh, your iPod or iPhone and uh, or watch it on the web on YouTube or do whatever you got to do. But uh, and and tell your friends because you know what, this is a great way to keep people kind of interested i think in space what all all of what you guys do what we do we just have to keep this going if we if we, if we run out of steam the whole thing is going to run out of steam 
very good point, and I'm a regular watcher of it every episode. It's it's amazing. We've all seen it, Miles. It's a fantastic show. It was very well done. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, now that we've established our mutual admiration society, <laughs> so we should tell everybody to, uh, to you know, let's you know, it's it's funny. I sometimes feel like you know an evangelical preacher, but we should all take it upon ourselves to win our friends over who are not necessarily. Uh, a part of our space world, you know. I've, I've got a I've got a problem child friend who, you know, doesn't understand why any money is spent on NASA. And I I, I send her, you know, every now and then I see something that you know kind of points out NASA's relevance to everyday uh, events in life. And I send her a little email. I just say, hey, you know, check this out. And I want you to think about this before you say NASA's stupid. And and she reads them and she sends back. She said, you know, I did not know NASA did that. So. You know, I, I would I would make it a project that we anybody who's listening to this who cares about space, think about getting outside our tent as much as we can, whether it's we're tweeting or talking on podcasts or doing this week in space or just trying to win over a friend at a cocktail party. Whatever you have to do, you know, keep doing it because uh, it it will die if we allow it to. Three, two, one, you're on. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. This was an exceptional um, podcast that we had tonight with Miles. Always a pleasure to have him on the program. And I just want to thank my fellow panelists. Sawyer, thank you again for um, engineering us this evening. Not a problem. It's really worth engineering when you have such an amazing guest on. Gene McCulka, thank you so much for your intellectual questions this evening. Oh, thank you. It's always a privilege to go ahead and talk to, to Miles and to, to just be here on this panel. So, again, thanks a lot, Gina. Thank you again so much, everyone, for joining us this evening. Tune in next week to hear Dr. Tom Jones discuss near-Earth objects and its their potential impact on planet Earth. And have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are. Magic in my eyes. I can see for my